Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with John Tyson, pastor of Church of the City in New York City, and most recently author of The Burden is Light. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. Thanks for tuning in today to another episode. If this is your first time, I hope that you enjoy this podcast today with John Tyson, pastor of Church of the City in New York City, and also the author of his most recent book, The Burden is Light. If you're a longtime listener, I appreciate you for joining today. Um, and if you have not done so already, if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. In today's podcast, we chat with John Tyson, uh, going back to his childhood in Australia. He spent um, many of his formative years um, there, uh, grew up, actually dropped out of high school, became a apprentice for a butcher, uh, did some surfing, and, and then all of a sudden he became a pastor. Now, uh, it definitely took some time. He moved to the United States um, on, on a calling, on just God's God telling him to, to move on over, and he made the move. Uh, it, it happened and was in Florida, ended up making a move to New York City. In this conversation today, we chat about his calling, which took him to New York City, took him to become a pastor, uh, and he also shares some advice of finding and following your calling um, and breaks it down to, into really a quite simple quote. Um, listening for the voice of God, responding in faith and obedience, having a disproportionate amount of prayer, being able to risk everything to follow Jesus, getting clarity of the call, and then obeying takes off all the pressure. Trying to invent your destiny is exhausting. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I am joined with Pastor John Tyson, lead pastor at Church of the City in New York. Uh, an author of two books and soon to be three, uh, and also a husband and father. So without further ado, John, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, mate. It is a joy to be with you. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, uh, would like to congratulate you on your brand new book, which uh, it, it looks like it's going to hit the stores on March 13th, uh, The Burden is Light, Liberating Our Life from tyranny of performance and success. So congratulations. And um, I, I know that this book is about ambition and comparison and a lot of other things that um, that, that can have the opportunity, uh, unfortunately, to sabotage our heart. Um, what have you learned about about pastoring in New York and kind of what sparked this this interest in, in writing a, you know, a full a full blown book on this topic? <laughs> Yeah, well, I have been pastoring here in New York uh, for almost 13 years now, and I just kept seeing people move here and many of their souls being destroyed. If if they were moving and they actually were able to make it here in New York, the success would kill them. Mm. And if they moved to New York and they didn't make it like they thought they would, the failure would crush them. So it made me try and ask mm. the question, what, what is actually happening here? And what's, what's below the surface of all the – what's happening in the human soul? So I spent some time uh, counseling, listening to people, studying God's word, and basically try to come up with some of the subterranean themes that sabotage our hearts that often get overlooked in modern culture. When we talk about sin, people often talk about big sins like sex, money, power, mm -hmm. things like that. But we don't get to those nuanced 
motivations in the heart that actually drive a lot of that. So that's why I wanted to address that, basically to show people the good news and the freedom that we have in following Jesus that liberates us from those those worldly ambitions. Wow, excellent, excellent. Uh, so, so was this something that, so you mentioned that this has been kind of a, something that you've noticed over the, the past 10 years. Um, what, what prompted you to write it now and, and, you know, and not kind of when you were, when you were first seeing it? Well, I, I feel like it's just accelerated so much. Mm. Um, thing, you know, th- particularly things just like social media and our ability to keep up with everybody else. We feel like we're just perpetually inadequate and the whole of life just feels like a comparison game. Mm-hmm. And I, I basically felt like it got to a boiling point in some of the lives of the people around me. And I was I was preaching on it and um, talking with people about it. And I just thought, you know what, this is such a, a timely message for our culture. I think I'm just going to put this out there in book format. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, so when I started pastoring, and I, I know this probably sounds crazy, there wasn't really social media back then. No Twitter, no iPhone. Uh, none of that sort of stuff. So the cultural acceleration um, sort of prompted me to put it out there now. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and even things that I feel like have kind of become part of my, in, kind of ingrained into, unfortunately, into my life and to a lot of other lives have just kind of spurred in the last few years too. So that, that makes sense um, with yeah. the spur of social media and, um, and, and just this kind of this, this really instant gratification type culture. Um, yes, Totally that we live in too. So is there, I don't want to give away too much of the book, um, but I do kind of want to ask um, a few, you know, a question or two um, is as we look at, you mentioned earlier, um, either people, people come to New York and I'm sure it's, it's very similar to many other big cities and folks that kind of see performance and success as, uh, as a measure of kind of how, how well they're doing in, in God's eyes, unfortunately. Um, how how have we been able to or how what do you recommend to kind of break down these 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 idols that we we tend to look at and and kind of bring ourselves back to um back to what our our intention should be uh well there's a there's a cliche answer and then there's a there's a deeper answer basically mm. the, the issues i i tackle in the book are comparison competition control living under the effects of people cursing us Mm. complacency judgment pride and distraction and i basically try and contrast them with the biblical opposite which is uh, for comparison it's finding your call competition it's living with compassion for others control to surrender cursing the blessing those sorts of things so when we and, mm. and i love contrast writing where you get to juxtapose, juxtapose one thing against another so mm-hmm. i think in many ways it is showing the full weight and reality of a concept and then you show the beauty of what Jesus offers against it and it just it just lights up and I, I think that all of all of our sin uh, in many ways is just misplaced longings and callings and then when you can reroute those longings and callings back to the truth as it's found in Jesus there's a level of satisfaction that that really really cannot be um, given by the world so it, it ends up being very liberating very very freeing mm-hmm. so that yeah com- comparing the two with one another i think is a very clear way and and jesus jesus spends a lot of his ministry basically telling stories that contrast one way of thinking with another and i've tried to to follow that format mm-hmm. yeah I, I love how you 
you mentioned these these two contrasts, and it's very important to to see um, to see one end of the spectrum and to really juxtapose it with another. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we have to where we feel like we we have to like really experience the other end, right? And I mean, I'll I'll like I'll think about it from the this example, right? Like. Uh, sexual immorality, right? Like we feel like some, we have to like fully experience it and understand what it is. And then, and then it's like we hit a breaking point and then it's like, we just like completely turn the other way and, and change completely. So that there is this element that like we have to, for some people, you, you, there's this like, they feel like they have to see um, both sides of the equation. Um, so I, I, I kind of wanted to hear, do you feel like there? We're, we're able to to live in a live in a way where we don't have to kind of do something and then feel like we have to repent, but rather come to a come to a place where we don't have to do that. Yes, I think that's called biblical wisdom. Mm. Biblical wisdom means that you don't have you get the benefit of learning from other people's mistakes, and it's the fool that thinks he has to personally relive or experience them himself. But we live at a, a moment where there's just no wisdom tradition in our culture. Mm. I, I don't think anybody would say that um, that our current generation um, looks profoundly more godly or hopeful or intelligent or compassionate or wise than previous generations. It feels like that there's been some some fundamental failure to deposit the collective wisdom from one generation to the next. So I think it is um, important to, to basically raise the voice and say, hey, you don't have to make all of these mistakes. You don't have to live into all of these things yourself. We can learn from the, you know, the collective generation of church history mm. and all that sort of stuff. So I, my answer is absolutely mm. no. You do not have to experience this. In fact, liberation is when you don't have to. You've been set free from having to do that. So, mm-hmm. awesome. And there's there's something in there I want to get back to um, in terms of, kind of looking back historically and and how that can can be a message for ourselves rather than always having to experience something. But um, before I get into that, I actually just want to rewind. And, and kind of bring bring you back uh, to some of your childhood memories and growing up in Australia. I want to hear just kind of what what you spent a lot of your days doing was was uh, you, you know up until you you left to come to to the United States. Yeah, well, yes, I, I do have a little bit of an accent left. I've, <laughs> I've been I've been in the U.S. for. Uh, almost 21 years, which just blows my mind. So this year, I'll have, I will have officially lived in the United States longer than I lived in Australia, which is, I don't know what that means, but it, it means something <laughs> for my own story. But my childhood in Australia was was a very, very typical, I think, Australian childhood. Um, very different from America, even though we speak the same language and there's some, some cultural overlap in terms of uh, the media and things like that. I basically spent my childhood going to school and participating in sports. Mm. And then when I was 14, I got a job after school at a butcher shop. And when I was 16 years old, I dropped out of high school to do an apprenticeship as a butcher shop. So my teenage years, the vast majority of my teenage years uh, were spent learning how to cut up dead animals so that people could eat barbecue for dinner. So I love that. I actually learned a, a, a ton um, about life, about manhood, about um, peer pressure, about um, you know confidence in getting a skill and 
and growing in it. So that that's what the, the first 20 years of my life were like. And I actually have a lot of very, very rich memories to look back on. I was also a surfer. I took up surfing in high school. And, you know, Australia has some of the most beautiful mm. beaches in the world and just love to go away for a weekend and just surf. My, my first car was a VW Combi van. So I would load it up with my mates and a bunch of meat for the butcher shop and we just go camp down the beach for the weekend. And it was it was a lot of fun. Somewhere in there I became a Christian and it changed the nature of the fun, but it certainly was a great childhood. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and, and, and you mentioned that when you became a Christian too, um, yeah, it seems like an unlikely story from, you know, going uh, at the age of 14, taking on an apprenticeship, um, you know, cutting up meat and then, being you know surfing and then all of a sudden um you know accepting christ and 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 making and making him the one that you that you put all your 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 heart and soul into when can you walk me through a a bit of that experience yeah i um i i had no interest in god whatsoever i mean just conscious my, my sister had really um started taking her faith very seriously and would give me lectures about how I was going to hell and would talk to me about the importance of faith. And I just remember thinking, shut up. I just mm. don't care about this stuff. And then, you know, in the providence of God, like only he can, I started dating a girl who um, attended a big Pentecostal youth group. And she said, you know, I, I want to heavily urge you to consider coming along. And so I started going along and I had just never seen anything like it. These people were so passionate for God. Their worship was incredible. They were the, some of the nicest, coolest people I'd ever met, and it just completely blew my stereotypes mm-hmm. up. So over the period of about eight months, I just felt my heart completely soften, and I ended up becoming a Christian uh, on a camp, which was the weekend that I turned 17 years old. So radical conversion just blew everybody's minds. I was a different person. It made my parents happy but concerned, my co-mates suspicious and worried <laughs> for me, and it just yeah. confounded my entire friendship circle. So, and I, I, I got an immediate call to, you know, to serve God, to be a pastor, to preach God's word. So it was a really, really dramatic conversion. Mm, that's that's really that's really funny. Uh, I, I love how you describe the different reactions from your parents and and from your friends too. It was very it was a very clear description, and I know exactly um, what that looks like. Uh, I yeah. think some of my friends and parents had a similar reaction too. Um, yeah. hard to explain, but uh, you, you did it quite well. Um, so y- y- as you as this calling um, was kind of bestowed on you to to start to start preaching and becoming a pastor um you made a move to the united states uh what's that which what sounds like a, a a response to a calling and um might sound crazy coming to you know a country you don't know and and then preaching in a city in you know like new york uh, where church might be like be the last thing for people to attend um but then also being a voice in a le- in, in a leader planting a church so, you know, it seems like a lot kind of looking all at this from a, a you know, 1,000-foot view, but can you kind of take me into the moment of what the first steps were when uh, you started to make this all happen? Yeah, well, the, the I just had this overwhelming sense of call 
that I, I was meant to go to the United States and I was meant to serve God there. And it just made it made no sense to everybody else around me. I, I remember telling my youth pastor and saying to him, um, look, I think God wants me to go to America. And I remember him saying, why would God want you to do that? America's filled with Christians. It's filled with seminaries pumping out pastors. Mm. You need to stay here in Australia, which is a secular country. Mm. I remember just saying to him, look, look that's probably true, except... It's probably true in general, but it's just not true for me. I mean, I, I know I'm supposed to go there. So I spent three years um, praying that God would open up a door for me to come to the U.S., and I ended up getting a scholarship to study theology uh, in 1997. So that's what originally brought me over to the United States to attend a school called Tacoa Falls College. And when I was there, I met my wife and um, just had had a, had a wonderful time. I just fell in love with the U.S. And when I was a young guy in ministry, I mean, the only – the only real opportunities were, were basically outreach or becoming a youth pastor. So I was a youth pastor for eight years. And then somewhere in my mid-20s, actually, I think it was at the first Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, I heard Andy Stanley in a throwaway comment say, when we planted North Point. And I just it just struck me like a bolt of lightning. You mean you can start churches from scratch? And I remember just trying to figure out, like, who do you get permission from? Is it from the Pope? Is it from who, who lets you plant a church? And then I realized that basically this is this is what I was was born to do. I was very entrepreneurial. I love starting things from nothing. Probably had the biblical gift of faith. I could just just trusted God. And uh, so also realized that uh, the whole world was moving to cities. We were in an urban moment. And um, that cities were disproportionately um, underrepresented in terms of um, church planning and gospel ministry. And I wanted to go be a part of that. So when I was 28, um, I'm 41 now, when I was 28, uh, we sold everything we had, did a book of Acts, paid off everybody's debts, and then moved up to New York to start church planting. So the key principles were basically just like listening, listening for the voice of God responding in faith and obedience, a disproportionate amount of prayer, just crying out to God for clarity and for insight, and then just being willing to risk everything to follow Jesus. So it's been a, it's been a crazy journey, but getting clarity of the call, so then all you have to do is obey, takes a ton of pressure off. Mm. And I see, I see a lot of folks who are just, you know, trying to brainstorm, they're, you know, they are driven by worldly ambition, but there's no pressure when you have Jesus asking you to do something, it's just yes or no, but feeling like you have to invent your destiny is exhausting. So I just had a very, very clear sense that God was asking me to do it. And, um, you know, we've been at it for 20 years uh, here in the U.S. and absolutely loving it. So I also married a girl from college and I've been married for 20 years, 20 years this year, have a couple of kids. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and uh, there was one line in there that I, I want to highlight again. Uh, you, you said trying to invest or trying to, pl- what was it, trying to plan out your future, invest your trying future? To, is it, trying to invent your destiny. Inventing it, your destiny it's, it's, is exhausting. It's exhausting, yes. Yes, that is so true. That is so true. And, uh, you know, the, the, the short time I've spent here on earth, I already... I already feel the, 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 the small burdens of, of, of trying to do that and the, and the yeah. exhaustion and the fatigue. Um, so, yeah. Okay, great. Um, and, and then um, as, as you are entrepreneurial and, and, you know, church planting is very much entrepreneurship, um, you decided that the market was right for New York, like the, or sorry, for a city. 
um, that there's just a disproportionate amount of churches that, that are not going there. Um, yeah. So why why New York? What was the what was the calling to New York? Well, I visited New York after 9-11 um, to come up and basically pray at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I've always had a heart for, heart for prayer, and a part of that is you know, the, the way I came into the kingdom of God and the people who discipled me in my early days. So we basically made a trip up to New York just to pray, and uh, we stayed at the Doubletree Hotel in Times Square. And I just remember being seized with wonder by the city of New York. And I just, I fell in love with it. I just mm. fell, in, fell in love with everything about it. And so I actually stayed up all night walking around the city praying, just saying, God, in your kindness, would you please send me to New York City? So a lot of people talk about um, coming to New York because it's the global capital of the world, or you're certainly probably in the top five cities like that, or it's like it's where Wall mm. Street is, Broadway, yep. the fashion industry. I think there probably was some... Um, you know, some strategic thinking in my heart connected to coming to New York. But two things have happened since I've lived here. Number one, you just realize nobody's really going to make an impact like that on New York. New York will mm. always be bigger than anybody who moves here. And even if you do make it here, five years later, people will hardly remember you. So success is very, very short-lived. So I, I don't view New York in terms of, as, of this just glance giant strategic hub like i used to and the second thing is that it's just become my home hmm. we just love it here and so we don't look at as a city which is like something to reach but a place that we love because we're here so my kids have been raised here hmm. um, all of my instincts are thoroughly new york instincts and uh, it's just become a place that we care about so much so the reason we love new york is because we love the people of new york and jesus tells us to love our neighbor and we love our neighbors Mm-hmm. So that we, we love it. It's a, it's a very good fit for us. It's not a city that's for everybody. There's a certain psychological makeup, I think, necessary to to thrive here for the long haul, which, you know, God has, in his sovereignty, gifted my wife and I with. Some people would say it's a curse, uh, but gifted my wife and I to have, but it's just ended up becoming our home, and we really, really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I, um, I... I, I was actually in New York City last weekend, so I, I moved from, um, I've been in Washington, D.C. the past two years, recently moved to uh, Massachusetts, and I, okay. dro- and I drove up to, you know, right through the gut of uh, all, all the big cities on the East Coast, and I, made, and I made a stop in New York. Um, my buddy uh, just actually launched his first book himself, and he was having a book launch party, and um, I said, you know, yeah, you know, I'd love to go to, to that and then catch up with a few other friends. And my initial reaction just in kind of in, of New York in general was that, for, you know, for me, it's I, I like a smaller city, something where I can feel a bit more in control. And New York at first was something that was just it was kind of overwhelming. Um, but I think, you know, I think this speaks to something greater is I think when I started to open my heart up to to the, the, the possibilities and the potential for um, the city and the people to have on me. And rather than kind of coming in with this mindset that it was like, this is the way it is, this is how it is, I actually left New York feeling quite, you know, satisfied and content with my time there. I said, you know what, I, this is, I, you know, I this was really a really great experience. And I think sometimes um, like faith and like experiences that we're going through every day, they, they might seem um, like a, you know, challenging or burdensome or, or just kind of problematic but then when we kind of look at it from a different light and kind of open ourselves up um, sometimes there you know something gets revealed 
that is a lot different than uh, what you initially thought. So, I, I totally agree. When I when I first moved here, um, I someone introduced me to Tim Keller, and back then he wasn't you know particularly well known. Mm. Maybe only in the PCA world or whatever. So he was a lot more accessible than he is these days. He, I, I remember him just saying to me, "You're here because you think New York City needs you, but you have no idea how much you need New York City." And uh, it's ended up being so true. This is a place of incredible spiritual formation. Mm. Um, you meet people from all over the world. You you find that you've got prejudices in your heart that you didn't even know mm. you had, and this becomes a place for God to to you know sort of break those off of you and to give you a new level of compassion. You, you find people from all over the world with different cultures, and um, and you know whatever character flaws you have just get extenuated extenuated here. So. It ends up just being a, a place of spiritual formation that is so wonderful. Now, I might add, remarkably painful, but the fruit of it has ended up being really incredible. So, New York's been mm. a gift to my. It's been a gift to my mind. It's been a gift to my heart, and mm. um, it's been a gift to my life. So, mm. I, I, know, I know what can happen when you open your heart and you let the city in. It really has the power to shape you in mm. many, many powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of flipping the script rather than what can I do for the city, but what can the city um, do for me? Yeah, it, uh, it does. It, it can change you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, as as part of Church of the City in you know New York, um, you kind of break down uh, the church into a few different areas: into worship, community, equipping, and and serving, and. Uh, these are all super important elements for for living a full life with God and really experiencing um, the wonder of His of His glory. Is there one in particular that you would say really helped you kind of take your faith to the next level? Uh, I think you know honestly, I think it's probably at different seasons of your life. Mm. Each of those plays a different role. Um, you know, so when you're a new believer, the the importance of God's word just becomes paramount. Paramount because, you know, you have to have your mind renewed to understand who God is, who you are, how life works, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I think I'm, I'm in somewhat right now of a uh, personal revival around the issue of prayer and worship. And I've always been struck by one quote I heard, which is, "What a you you." You're transformed into the image of whatever you end up worshiping, you know, either for ruin or for restoration. Hmm. And I've just been, I, I think, because of the power of our culture to shape us, you know, the amount of messages that we see, the choice architecture of our world that's just basically turning us under autopilot. So many things are, are, are forming us into the image of the world. And I think worship is one of the tools that reforms us. So, both corporate worship, gathering with God's people, hearing the gospel story preached, um, lifting up our hearts, being able to even give the offering, being coming together and being generous and remembering those um, who are around us. And I, I, I'm just having such joy in worshiping right now. And, you know, New Yorkers are some of the best worshipers in the world. I mean, there is pure worship happening for the idols of New York City. I mean, people worship money, they worship their careers, they worship image, they worship success. And so I've, I'm just finding so much joy in being reformed into the image of Jesus by worshiping the one true God. So mm. right now, that's on fire in my heart, and um, I think our whole community is really leaning into that. 
Mm, awesome. Uh, and and on that, you mentioned that for new believers, uh, God's word is something that uh, is kind of a good starting place. Um, is that the you know what kind of advice would you have for supporting and encouraging people um, who may have been you know turned away from Christ or, or folks that might call themselves Christian on paper, but uh, but aren't seeing the full full picture of Christ? Um, where where would you suggest that? Uh, that these guys start and kind of how would you help them out there? Man, I, I think, that, you know, when you read the Gospels, you're, you're finding out what God is like. And so I think it's very, very important to just to stay in the text. And, you know, people in our culture, a lot about being Gospel-centered. I, I love that. But I think that we should actually be Gospels-centered, which is you never leave the Gospels. And learning what Jesus is like, what he values, who he is. This stuff um, is only found in the text itself. So I just encourage people to, Mm. um, you know, to suspend their fear, their hurt, and their judgment of the institution of the church and read the Gospels and see who Jesus actually is. Don't let either the pain or the cynicism or the disappointment or the frustration block you from encountering the person of Jesus and we find him through his word. So push people back to the text. Stay and live in the Gospels. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I want to hear what was the biggest challenge that you've faced that actually ended up being the, one of the best things for your life? Uh, the, one of the biggest challenges I've faced. That, oh, um, so having a lack of formal education has been challenging for me. So I, I came to the U.S. Um, to study theology, dropped out of school when I got married because I had too much responsibility. And it actually wasn't until a couple of years ago that I, I graduated from seminary. So up until, I don't know, maybe three years ago, my highest formal level of education was middle school. And, um, wow. you know, it, it, it didn't it close some doors but it ended up being a blessing because it just made me hungry to read and learn myself. And so it just put in me a passion for theology. It put in, uh, it put in me a little bit uh, of an insecurity about my lack of education that pushed me to study. And um, so I basically developed a, a reading plan for myself to supplement my lack of formal education that's borne a lot of fruit and has taught me how to think uh, very, very widely and probably more deeply than if I hadn't, if I had just gotten a degree and, you know, just gotten on with my life. So what felt like a real obstacle has ended up, you know, being something that's produced tremendous fruit for me. Hmm. So something, yeah, so something that maybe a, that it really helped you uh, find intrinsic motivation and, and to, to, to help you keep going rather than having a system or structure that um, you that might not have been the best fit, um, but it kind of helped you walk in that obedience too, to continue to seek and continue to learn. Yeah, and I'm not recommending as a formal yeah. strategy, I'm not like <laughs> Peter Thiel, who's going to pay you to drop out of college or anything, but yeah. it, it was one of those things that God used on my life that's mm. been very, very good. Awesome. Um, want to want to talk a bit more about one of your uh, one of your previous books, uh, Sacred Roots: Why the Church Still Matters. So you, you aim to show that the value of church um, has for anyone that's questioning their you know everyday life um, in you know in, in church that you know it's, it's a place of community and self-giving and love and that's where the value has been in the past and you know and looking back 
year years ago should we still keep these values um and and if so how do you feel we we as people are, are doing keeping these values as part of our church well, part of part of the problem that we ha- we have with the church in our culture is that for many people, the church just seems to look nothing like the person of Jesus. So that people feel a lot of dissonance between the official institution of the church, whether it's it's denominational hierarchies or even perhaps a, a congregation down the street from them, and they just I think a lot of people still have a hunger for faith, for or certainly for some sort of. Um, meaning and a desire to make a difference with their life they just feel that they're probably better off investing in it in a local nonprofit, and they probably think they'll find better community less judgmental community in a local nonprofit than they will in the christian church so i just want to acknowledge the church has not done a good job and our current political moment regardless of where um, people fall on the political spectrum people realize it's incredibly divisive and so, you know, if if Hillary Clinton had been elected and was, was you know, proclaiming herself an evangelical Christian, half of America would be rioting. And then Donald Trump uh, is elected and proclaims himself an evangelical Christian and the other half of America is rioting. And so it's, it's, it's a very, very divisive um, moment for the institution of the church and a lot of confusion. So I think not only do we need to keep these values um, that you listed out, I think we need to we need to get back to the absolute root of them and live them with more intensity and intentionality than we ever have before. So you know something like self-giving, love, living in community, these are the things that mark us out from the world. Agape love is the magic bullet of Christian mission. And when we we have other centered sacrificial care, that is the heart of Christianity because that's how Je- that's who Jesus was and how he lived for us. So yeah, I think we have to get back to those things mm-hmm. and probably you know staying away from controversial um, or, or keeping our reputation separate from just controversial cultural issues and, and really embodying the teachings of Jesus um, out of the power of the Holy Spirit and through grace is the need of the hour. So I think we, we have to do that. So h- how do you go about doing that? Well, I think um, I mentioned it a little bit. It's intensity and intentionality. So most people already have the friends they need. They don't need another community, but the community is probably not that intentional. So I would just gather three or four friends together and I would commit to the essential Christian practices, you know, um, reading God's word, praying for one another, confessing sins, encouraging each other in their call. And I would do that with a new level of intensity. So I would be more intentional about what I do with my existing friends, and I would raise the intentionality of my discipleship. Mm. And I think if if people did that, extraordinary things would happen. I remember Andy Kraut saying once, being radical in America, is it's not that hard. Just don't watch any TV and give 10% of your money to the poor. And you'll be a distinctly different kind of person than anyone around you. And that's always stood out to me. It's so mm. true. Mm. So getting back to the root of what Jesus taught is is the need of the hour. Mm. Mm. Awesome, awesome. Um, and other other question I wanted to have as as we're kind of winding in now down on time. Um, is there anything else that that you think um, 
you'd, you'd like to share that, you know, has been on your heart recently or maybe um, just f- feel like should, should be part of this conversation to, to everyone that's listening and that has, you know, tuned in and stuck through all the way through this episode? Yeah, well, if you've stuck all the way through this episode, good on you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, God, I, I've been having um, a wrestling match with a particular verse of Scripture. Uh, it's found, uh, it's, it's the account in Mark's Gospel about... Um, the disciples trying to cast out the demon from the from the boy, but they're unable to. Mm. And then Jesus shows up and he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And the, the thing that struck me is it seems to be, and, and, and we know in other accounts of the Gospels that the disciples have been effective at casting out demons before. So mm-hmm. they're encountering another kind of power that their normal mode of ministry is ineffective at, at reaching or utilizing and i've just been struck with that that concept myself which is it seems like the american church is in a cultural moment where church as normal is ineffective to drive out the demons of our age and i don't mean literal demons i mean like you know just the 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 demon of of selfishness the demon of hatred the demon of materialism the demon of distraction the demon of um you know all of those things that are just destroying our culture and so it seems like we're doing what we can interestingly enough it seems that when the disciples can't cast out the demon they end up having a debate with the teachers of the law and so i'm just i just feel more called than ever before just basically to to praying and fasting that god will give us more power to follow Jesus with intensity and integrity mm. in such a way that it's able to drive out the evil of our age. So what we've been doing, which is American Christian life as normal, seems to be completely ineffective for what for, for what contemporary American life has become. And we need prayer and fasting to to get the power to drive out what's what's breaking our world's heart. So that's something that's definitely been on my heart. I've been trying to prioritize my time around mm. really crying out to God and pressing in for what he has and growing in spiritual power. So if that resonates with you, I encourage you, wherever you are, just set set time aside just to grow in intimacy with God and, and grow in spiritual power. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I absolutely. I, I love, uh, you know, pr- pray like you mean it. It's kind of, it's that kind of mindset. Um, really, yeah, really. I totally agree. A lot of, a lot of prayers are what, what I just call nice thoughts. Yeah. When someone says I'm praying for you, they basically mean I like you and I, and I have nice thoughts about you. Yeah. But we don't really, we don't really anticipate God doing any of the things we're saying. So there has to be another kind of prayer. So pray like you mean it. I like that. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing you, you mentioned fasting, and um, I think for some people this is a maybe a bit irregular or, or something that uh, not even irregular. They're not very aware of this this concept too. Um, what what have you found is um, maybe a good way of starting, or or what has been effective for you for um, being mindful of uh, ways to incorporate fasting into your into your day to day walk? Well, I. I... I think fasting is designed for seasons of basically spiritual intensity or extraordinary prayer. Mm. So you, it can be a, a regular process of fasting, which I'm not particularly good at. But extraordinary seasons of prayer, where um, you enter into you know like basically a covenant with God for a set period of time to go without something because there's something else you want more. Mm. So if you, if you're new to fasting, you can start by doing something like just fasting dinner one night. 
and actually spending that time in in silence and solitude before God, and something as small as that can end up, you know, sowing a seed of a larger movement of, of seeking God or praying and fasting that can really change your life. But I would start by doing something very, very small and doing it well and consistently, however you feel led, and then amping up from there. Most of us, you know, we, mm-hmm. we get these heroic intentions and we do giant things we can never sustain and we fail and we, we feel guilty and we give up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like start small, be consistent, and then grow it up from there. And, and when you do that, you'll get two things. You'll get competence, which means you'll actually learn to do it well, and you'll get confidence because you'll see, you'll see the fruit of doing it. So start small, scattered up from there, be consistent. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I think now is, a, is an awesome and excellent time to do it, just being in this Lent period as we yeah, are right now. You, Lent is always a wonderful opportunity. And in Lent, what you get... Um, which you often don't get in other uh, times of prayer and fasting, is you get the communal approach of everybody being on a shared mm. um, theological journey, which is very, very rich. So never too late to jump into Lent. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and the last question I want to ask is just where can we find you and, and also the, the work that God's doing in you right now? Uh, you can find me, um, if you go, you can go to our website, which is just church.nyc, if you want to find anything uh, connected to our church, or if you want to find me personally, I'm on most social media, just at mm-hmm. John Tyson, J-O-N-T-Y-S-O-N. Perfect. So if there's folks out there that um, are maybe looking for a, a bit more of a community, there's a there's a podcast, and does the podcast have all the all the sermons that are that are done weekly? We get all of that. We got sermons. There's a, a YouTube channel if you if you want to watch it. Um, what we're doing, and we actually have got a ton of other programming that we're just bleeding into our podcast now. So mm. we do a lot of other stuff outside of Sunday, and we're just beginning to put that stuff into the podcast. You'll get a real rich sense of uh, what God's doing in our community if you tune into that. Awesome, awesome. So for folks out there that are maybe uh, part of a community right now, but it's, uh, they want to kind of dig in a little bit more, um, or, or for folks that are not yet part of a, a good church community, um uh, you can feel free to check out um, Church of the City in New York, uh, their podcast, which is available on iTunes. Um, and just to wrap us up, would you would you uh, please uh, close us out in prayer? Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, just for your call on our lives. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for bringing us to yourself. Thank you for for giving us for our sins, giving us the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us, giving us a purpose in our lives. And Father, I just want to pray for these listeners, Lord, that um, your voice will be the loudest voice from anything they've heard, that you'll just encourage their spirit and uh, you'll stretch their faith. So we thank you for this time, Lord. We'll pray, pray that you'll use it to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.